I'd like us to say a short prayer. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks and praise for today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you because we thank you for saving us, Heavenly Father. We thank you because of what you brought us from and where you are taking us. Be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Father, even as we fellowship together and we learn at your feet and we learn your word, Father, come and teach us by yourself in the name of Jesus. Father, what it is that you want us to learn, Father, we will learn it tonight in the name of Jesus. That, Lord, our time here will not be in vain in the name of Jesus. Father, Lord God, that even when we are done, Father, and we leave here, we will not leave your presence in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for myself, and I pray that, Lord, you put your words in my mouth in the name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father. For it's in Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another midweek service. We are going to be continuing with our first book of John series. Uh, we've been looking at the first letter of John for quite a while now. I believe it's been it's been a couple of months so far that we have been taking on this particular book. So today we'll be looking at the book of First John, chapter three, from verse eighteen to twenty-four, and Chapter 4, from verse 1 to 6. I'd like us to turn our Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 18 to 24, and chapter 4, from verse 1 to 6. They follow each other, so. I hope we're all there. I'm going to start reading from verse 18. The Bible says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Um, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out of this world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us, not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. So, we're going to look at this in two blocks. We're going to look at um, chapter 3 from verse 18 to 24. And then we'll be looking at chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 6. We have been talking about the book of John for a while now. And if there is a theme 
that has been common throughout the entire book. It's one of identity. I've said it time and time again. Yes, John talks a lot about love, but more about the identity of the believer because even our loving is a part of our identity. So if you check from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5, it talks a lot about, okay, who are we in Christ? How do we tell that we're in Christ? How do we tell those who are not in Christ? How can we differentiate between the two? It's a very, very common theme in the first book of John. And in this passage of scripture, it follows the same theme in which once again, we are looking at the topic of identity. It's incredibly important. And the time I have spent reading um, the first book of John, I have, the more I think about it, the more I realize that one of the most important issues in life in general today is the conversation around identity. It's a very, it's a huge topic. It's a controversial topic. It's because everyone is talking about it. Everyone is asking the question, who am I? And if I am this, like what makes me that? And so on and so forth. Can I, can I choose whoever I want to be? Can I be whatever it is that I just feel like being? Can I pick something on a whim and decide that that is what I shall, I will identify myself as? These are questions that are around us in the world today and they need answers. Thankfully, we have an answer in God's word here talking about our identity. But today we are going to be looking at the idea of how do we know that we are in Christ Jesus. Well, one of the first classes I took in Sunday school was on the assurance of salvation. And we talked about a lot of things in that class. And you would find that you might, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself that never bothered about anything like that. But the reality is that one of the biggest issues for a new believer is being able to is wondering to themselves that okay am i a god and i good am i in a good place with god am i walking with god can i consider myself a true born again christian as a experienced mature christian you might not be thinking that but i thought that at the time and the reality is that even for experienced christians there are several times in our walk with faith that we may question it happens you may question yourself and be like, am I, am I even sure I am in God's will? This may come at a time of trial. It may come at a time where you're feeling low. It may come at a time where you don't feel like you're hearing God as clearly as you normally would. Or you would feel like you should be able to. And in this period, usually you would ask yourself sometimes, ah, am I truly in God? Is there, am I doing something wrong? Am I out of his will? Am I out of his purpose? Is there something that I should be putting right in my life? And... John answers those questions in this passage of scripture. Now, the way I have done this is that he, he gave us three filters through which we can view our relationship with God, our fellowship with him. Because if you remember in 1 John chapter 1, we talked about how if you walk in the light as he's in the light, we're in fellowship with him. We talked about fellowship quite a bit there. And fellowship with God, as we have established, is incredibly important. So, how do we then know that we are still in it? And in the subsequent verses, John essentially lists three filters through which we can view or understand clearer our standing with God. The first is our actions in love. Our actions in love. And 
We get that from verse 18 and verse 19. Because the Bible says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, what this is pointing out to us is our very actions go a long way in where we are standing, in what our standards are before God. The Bible has told us on several occasions that we must act in love. We are not supposed to simply just say it, but we are supposed to act it. And if you're able to act it out, then you know that you are doing the right thing and you are standing in the right place before God. It's essentially like if, you, if you're in university and, you, and an exam is coming up, you might be a bit worried in your heart that, ah, am I going to be able to do this well? But if you look at yourself and you realize that, oh, I've been reading, I've been reading hard, and I've been doing what I should do, I've been listening in class, I've been doing all of that, then you know that, okay, all things being over, I shouldn't have a problem with this examination. But for that, we must realize that it has to be true reading because some people deceive themselves and they will just, you know, do some slapdash preparation and then would start to convince themselves that somehow they have done what they should or they've prayed as they should. Uh, when I was in university, I had, I had a classmate. We, in that time, it was very fashionable to go and read at night. So it was very fashionable that you go in the night around 10, 11, and then you're in the library till 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., depending on the situation. It's a very fashionable thing. For whatever reason, people seem to believe that, you know, they read at night, that's when the book will enter their head, and then they will know that, okay, I'll be able to pass my exam. So it was a big thing, and uh, due to the fact that I was in law, law was incredibly notorious for doing this all the time because we had one of the harder courses to deal with. So we had this guy in my set. He was, he was a loud guy. He was a pretty noticeable individual. And at night, you know, sometimes me and a couple of friends will also say, okay, let's go and read. Uh, let's go and read. So we'll go to the library. We'll go to the law faculty library or whatever as the case may be. And he will come along. He'll be there. And he'll be bouncing very, you know, boisterously as we go there. And we'll get there. And we get there by, say, 11 o'clock. And by 11.30, 12, he'll sleep. And he'll sleep through to 5. And then... You know, you tap him and say, we're going back to the hostel. And he goes, ah, okay, 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 okay. And then by the time he gets to the hostel, once he walks in and everybody, someone will probably hail him because it's quite popular. And he goes, hey, I don't do overnight. I go do overnight. I go do overnight. And everybody looked at him and like, ah, this guy has been reading hard. This guy has been reading hard. Of course, needless to say, he didn't do very well in his exams. But, you know, but that was due to the fact that he hadn't really prepared. He hadn't truly prepared. In the same vein, if as believers, we carry out acts of, what we call love or acts that we say that ah okay i'm doing this in love but it's not truly from our hearts then we're only deceiving ourselves uh the bible tells us in proverbs chapter 16 verse 2 it says that the ways of a man seem clean in his own eyes but it's god that weighs the spirits so essentially god looks at the heart god knows the motives behind what it is that we do so if we're going to act in love then we should ensure that we are acting in sincere love now we have talked before about the commandment of jesus when he said that we should love one another as he has loved us and because he had loved us in a particular way we have a responsibility to also love 
our fellow brothers and sisters in the same way. And in the book of John, it explains that that love, because what you will see, when Sister Odera was teaching us the last time, uh, her topic was on a call to love. And we talked about love so often. But what you would find here is that John was very particular about the way we love our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, the Bible will tell you love your enemies, pray for those who hurt you, and things like that. But you would find that when you're talking about love between believers, they're saying things like ensure you're giving to your brother and sister. Ensure you do this. So, our love to our fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, a lot of times was even very material. It was in the things that we did towards them because that's how they could really feel our love. They could feel how we were able to impact them in one way or the other. That is the kind of love in which we are being, we are being called to, to follow or we are being called to um, put out there. So here, we find that one of the filters we can look through is are we, are our actions pure before God? Are we doing the right thing as we should? And if we are, then we can have confidence. We can have confidence in our hearts. And in that, we use that to move to the second point, which is our heart or our conscience. Our heart or our conscience. Our hearts, we all have our hearts, we all have our conscience. My, my father used to tell me something. He says that if you defeat your conscience, then there's nothing you can't do. And uh, it was a very interesting saying. It's one of those ones that stuck in my head, you know, all, all my life. Because he said it, and it was very true. Because if you can defeat your conscience, then there's absolutely nothing you can't do. Uh, but the Bible says something here, which we must be very cognizant of. It says here that, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, the reality is this. God has given us a heart and a conscience through which we can filter right and wrong. There is, there is no human being that doesn't have a heart or a conscience. And for the average individual, they are able to tell between right and wrong due to their conscience. So even someone that is not a believer, more often than not, we know that they have done something wrong if they were to hit someone you know, out of the way, or if they are to defraud someone, if they are to cheat someone. Now, it's another thing if they are trying to justify their actions, you know, one way or the other, trying to hide and say, hey, well, it's because of this. When you see them talk like that, it's not to say that what they've done is right, but it's to mitigate the idea that they are evil or that they have done something so evil. However, they know that they have done something evil. But the thing here is that we must understand that the heart is not the ultimate arbiter of whether we are right before God or we are wrong before God. It is a means to help, but it is not the ultimate. So you'll find that there are a lot of people who their emotions will rule how they feel towards God. So, I mean, I believe that at some point or the other we might have experienced this whereby you go through a week where you don't particularly feel close to God. Like, the way your emotions are, you don't feel so great you don't feel so good you don't feel so connected you don't feel so close to god and at that kind of time or at that period of time you might think to yourself that oh perhaps you know there's something wrong perhaps there's something wrong with my relationship with god somehow 
And it's not like you've not been praying. It's not like you've not been reading your Bible. It's not like you've not been doing any of the things that you're supposed to do. You just feel your emotions that somehow you're out of sync. You're not right with God. But God here, um, the Bible is telling us here that God is God is greater than that. God is above that to the point whereby He, only He truly knows because we say He's omniscient. So He knows all things. Therefore, He's the one that can truly discern where we are, where we are standing, what we are doing. That said, the Bible continues here because it says that, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. This talks about peace. Peace. As a believer, if you are walking in sync with God, we have peace because we know that we are doing what we should be doing. We know that we are in, in his will. When we submit, there are various times in our lives that you, know, you, might, you might not be doing as you should, and you'll find that you can't, you can't rest, you can't sleep. You've done something wrong. And when you've done something wrong, you find that you're not able to get any peace. You're not able to get any rest. You know, sometimes you hear people mention and say, I lost my peace. I lost my peace. I lost my peace. I lost my peace. Oh, okay, what does that mean? God has given us our heart. God has given us this conscience for which we're able to know. We're able to discern where we are, what we are doing. Amen. And the third filter is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Um, it continues here. It says that, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that, we, that he abideth in us by the spirit which he had given us. Amen. We know that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit freely. The moment we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. And because the Holy Spirit comes into us, the idea is this. The Holy Spirit, a huge chunk of his job or the huge chunk of the ministry that he carries out in our lives is that he moderates the relationship that we have with God. So he's able to give us access because through him we can access God and through him God is also able to speak to us because it's his spirit and the spirit of God knows what is in what is what's in God's heart and therefore is able to communicate it to us. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 it tells us that um, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit puts us in a place of rest where we know that we are walking in God's will. Where we are walking in God's will. These three things work in tandem in the sense that they are not mutually exclusive. So at any point in time, we can look at our lives and if we wonder to ourselves that am I in the right place, am I doing the right thing, you have to ask yourself these three questions, which is essentially that how, am I, how are my actions perceived or what have I done? Second being is that what is my heart saying about this? Do I have peace in my heart? And the third is that what's the Holy Spirit saying about this particular situation? Because the Holy Spirit has an opinion about every single thing that we do. He has something, he has a will, and we are supposed to submit ourselves to that will. And therefore, if we're able to do all of these, then we know that we can keep fellowship with the Father. Amen. We also know 
uh, as the Bible has told us here, the Bible mentions here that, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We can see clearly here that obedience is the key to answered prayer. If we're going to receive answers to our prayers, then obedience is incredibly important. We must be able to obey what God's word says and what he says to us. And through that, can we have confidence to come before him boldly and to ask of anything in his name and know that he would answer? Because that is the God we serve. Amen. So let's look into chapter 4. And I'll read from verse 1 to 3. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that is that it should come and even now already is it in the world amen so this is something that we've heard a lot of times when i was younger i heard this a lot we were, oh test every spirit test every spirit test every spirit and which is true we should but we have to realize one thing which is that there are two ways that these false spirits try to attack us one is from without outside so you hear a fake pastor a fake prophet a fake teacher all of those people they, they are those ones but the other is within within we've heard that before that you have someone who has the holy spirit in him who is speaking in tongues who is doing all of these things however the person is still being harassed by the by evil spirits or the person is still being oppressed by evil spirits those voices can still attack his or her mind and tell them certain things that they shouldn't be hearing about or shouldn't be coming into their mind. And this is part of what we are talking about. It says that, beloved, that we are not to believe every spirit. There are very many various false prophets that have gone out into the world today. I mean, we've said it here on a number of occasions that the problem of false prophets and fake teachers did not start today. It's something that has been there even from the time of the early church. And it's something that continues to permeate the world today. People bringing about false teachings, false knowledge, all sorts of things that are not in line with the word of God. But John reliably tells us something here about how we are able to tell or differentiate between the spirit of God and the false spirits or evil spirits, which is either... Either those that are within or those that are without. Now, generally speaking, they will tell you that, oh, okay, um, ensure that you test whatever it is that they are saying with the word of God. You know, the Bereans did that in the book of Acts and they were commended for it because they ensured that whatever was being said was in line with God's word. And that is incredibly important. Listening to the Holy Spirit, all of these things are incredibly important. But what John points out here is a very simple thing that a lot of us don't consider all of the time. It says here that hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And that is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. The truth of the matter is this. 
there is a very fundamental truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what we call the incarnation. The idea that Jesus came, left us, put aside his riches in heaven, and came down on earth to live among us. He was God in flesh. So we say it all the time that he was fully God and he was fully man. And even when he was here on earth in the flesh, he was God. Now, what you would find a lot of times is that when I first read this, when I, way back then, I used to just wonder to myself that how, how does that really, you know, because the Bible already tells us that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, you know, if a false spirit did the same thing, like, isn't it? And, but I realized something. There is no false spirit. There is no false teacher. There is no false prophet. There is no false anything that would ever accept that Jesus Christ came to this world as a person, as God incarnate in a, in human flesh, and he was hundred, he was fully God, and he was fully man. You would find that there are always little, little discrepancies. If you look, if you listen to these people's theology, and you listen to what they talk about, or you listen to those things that are within you, you would find out that there's always something. So, what you would find a lot of times in some of the places of worship that you might visit today is they will tell you that there is a cosmic Jesus. Or they will tell you, you know, something along the lines of, oh, you know, uh, one of the ones that I always find very amusing are those who would, you know, turn to um, the Gospels and talk about Jesus' meeting with the Syrophoenician woman, the one that um, he told that, oh, I can't give the food of the children to the dogs. And a lot of times when some people analyze the scripture, you always find it so amusing because they'll say something like, I love the scripture so much. I love the scripture so much because, you know, it shows me the humanity of Jesus. It shows me how Jesus was flawed. And because Jesus was flawed, he was just like us. And because he was just like us, you know, we're able to aspire to be something better than we are because Jesus could repent of his mistake, you know. You will hear something along those lines. And the idea is that they're trying to make Jesus just a mere man, like immortal. Some other people will tell you something else. They will tell you that, oh, Jesus was, Jesus came, he was on earth and all of that. But you know, he only fully awakened to his godhood while he was here on earth. You would hear all of this interesting little side plots, plot holes about Jesus Christ. And whenever you hear people like that, the reality is that it can never be from God. Because the spirit of truth will always affirm the name of Jesus. Will always affirm, it will always affirm the Godship of Jesus Christ. Will always do so. In the book of Mark, just before um, Jesus' arrest, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said that, um, that his time had come for his name to be glorified. And the Bible tells us that they heard a voice from heaven saying that I will glorify it and I will glorify it again. Like, the Spirit of God will always affirm Jesus' Godship. And anything or anyone that tells us anything different from that, we can know that it's a spirit of deception. Therefore, for any kind of preacher or any kind of teacher or any kind of person who purports that they are carrying about the word of God or they are teaching the word of God, 
We should check their theology. And you would always find that there's a little chink in the armor when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ and how he came on this earth in flesh and that as he was in the flesh, he was the son of God. And here it says that John is telling us that this is a way in which we are able to tell whether a spirit is of God or a spirit is from the evil one or is of the Antichrist. However, when you hear this, some people may worry. You may worry a bit. You may worry about it and say, ah, so if you have all of this antichrist, like what are we to do? What is going on? How can we be saved? And so on and so forth. We've heard about persecution. We've heard about what could happen to the believers and the body of Christ. But the passage here goes here to reassure us because it says in verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and overcome and have overcome them. That is the antichrist. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is a message of encouragement for every believer. The fact that you know that the Holy Spirit that resides in you, the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, is greater than any other spirit that has gone out into the world. Whatever it is that they are proclaiming, whatever it is that they are doing. I'll read the rest of it. It says that they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. The last thing I want to touch on is what the differences between what we hear and what people of the world hear. Because in this three these three verses of scripture, we find that there is a divide between the two groups which are people who belong to God and people who belong to the prince of this world. The Bible tells us that they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know with the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The reality is that for a lot of unbelievers or people who claim that they are Christians but are not really Christians, you would find that the false prophets have them believing everything that they are saying because of one simple thing. They speak in terms of the world. They speak about earthly things, things that these people would be able to understand. Meanwhile, when they hear about the truth of the gospel, they are unable to understand it because it is not of this world. It is not of this area. I want us to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 11. The Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Amen. The major difference between 
our message and the message of any anybody who is bringing about another gospel is very simple. One is grounded in this world and one is grounded in heaven or in the wisdom of heaven. And these are two very different things and they're also two very incompatible truths. And because they are two incompatible truths, depending on what side you are on, you'll find that you'll be, you'll be unable to accept one truth while clinging on to the other. Have you ever wondered to yourself, when you think of certain concepts of the world, or certain things that people would tell you about that are generally accepted, but you look at it and you be like, that makes no sense. I know I have. I know that there are several things that someone would tell me about and tell me that, well, you know, it's just normal and this kind of thing. And I'll be like, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. I can't, I can't wrap my head around what it is that you are trying to tell me. But on the other side, on the flip side, there are a lot of things that we'll talk about here or I might tell another human being that the person will also look at me and be like, you're not making any sense. That makes no sense to me. And the reason for that is the difference in the message. So, if a believer were to lose their wife or were to lose someone close to them and in this moment of great trial, the first thing the Holy Spirit tells them is worship me, praise me, start to sing, start to sing loud, clap, dance. And you do that. Anyone who is not spiritually inclined that will look at you in that moment would at best say that it's some weird coping mechanism that they can't understand. Or at worst, we'll say that are you some kind of monster that has no emotions? Are you someone that doesn't care about the person who you just lost? Because the idea that in that moment in time, you want to praise an invisible God that they can't see and they don't even believe in, seems incredibly weird to them. And the reason for that, like I said earlier, is the difference in message. is the fact that one is grounded in this world, this world's teachings, this world's truths, this world's understanding, and one is grounded in heavenly truths and heavenly understanding. So, false preachers are able to get people on board because when they are talking about sensitive issues or when they are talking things that we deem to be sensitive and so on and so forth, they are able to use understanding language in a sense that feels like, oh, we are reasoning together. We can understand the difficulty of what this thing means. So, for instance, you know, if you are talking about the issue of identity, or sexuality, or any of these things that are very controversial in the world today, you will find that a false teacher would tell you about how, you know, it's okay, there's, a, there's, been, a, there's been a modernization of history, things have changed, people have evolved, and because people have evolved, then as Christians, we must also evolve to meet up with the current realities of the life that we live today. That's a common message that you might hear some of these people speak. And the truth of the matter is that a lot of people of the world will accept that. They listen to that. It makes sense to them. They can be like, okay, well, I understand. I understand that you believe in an invisible God and so on and so forth. But I can see that we're able to understand one another because we understand that these issues are not black and white. However, if a believer is like, 
No, they are black and white because this is how God said certain things should be. This is how God said certain people should be. Then you look ridiculous to them because then they're no longer speaking of earthly things. They're beginning to speak of heavenly truths that is only open to you because of God's mercy upon our lives. And because of that, you see the, you see the dichotomy or you see the problem that this raises. Therefore, if you speak the truth of God's word to someone who is not of God, they would not hear you. They will not understand you. And on the other hand, if those of the world speak the truth of the world to people of God, people of God should not understand them. Because they are different beings who believe in different realities. Amen. As we continue in the book of 1 John, we'll find more and more how our identity is grounded in the love we have for Jesus, the love we have for one another, the love that we're able to show. We'll also see that spiritual realities are things that are open to us by the grace of God. You know, when we're reading earlier, we're talking about how, and I was talking about how the, how the Spirit of God will always affirm the Godhood of Jesus and the fact that, you know, Jesus came in the flesh as an incarnation. The Bible calls things like they say is a mystery because at the end of the day, if you tell that to someone who is, does not believe in God, that makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense to him. If we open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, um, it's a passage of scripture we have looked at before in one of our sermons. And it's a profound passage of scripture. Matthew 16, verse 16 to 17. The Bible tells us, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, uh, art thou Simon, Bahuna, for flesh and blood hath revealed not it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Amen. This was uh, the time when Jesus questioned his disciples and was asking them that, oh, who do people say I am? And they're saying that, well, some say that, you know, you're John the Baptist. Some say that Elijah returned. Some say that you're one of the prophets. And he asked them that, okay, who do you say I am? And Peter answered. And Jesus said something. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And what you will find in that statement is a profound truth, which is that the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that is the Son of God, is the Son of the living God, is not something that anyone can simply claim on their own. It is something that we can only claim after revelation. It's only through revelation that we can state with our full heart that Jesus is the Son of God, is the Son of the living God, He is the Messiah. A lot of people have heard that as a truth. A lot of people have heard it. But in terms of being able to believe it and to proclaim it, it's not something that you hear. And it's not something that is simply knowledge that we can throw around as any other thing. You know, if, if I wanted to know how a telephone worked, I could easily just 
go on Google, find out how a telephone works and everything. And if someone were to ask me the question, I'll be able to answer it and all of that. It doesn't take anything. I don't need I don't need divine inspiration for me to be able to believe that, oh, a phone works like this, or it works like that, or it works like this. However, the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is in God, and having that as a conviction in our heart is the grace of God. And that in itself is a mercy, it's a gift. And therefore, we are able to tell between the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. We're able to know because we already have the spirit of God in us, who is to teach us all things. And through these means, through these means, we'll be able to keep our fellowship with God using the filters that we talked about earlier. And we'll be able to divide or um, we'll be able to tell between what is true and what is false. And I don't think we've ever been more in need of perception than today. When there are so many messages, there are so many people peddling different bits of information, different things that they call the truth. The Bible has told us that we're in the end time and that the false prophets and the false gospel would do would almost be able to sway away the elect. And there are some people who have been deceived. And for that reason, we can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely simply on our knowledge. We can't rely on essentially just the things we know. We must rely on the Spirit of God and and ask God to help us to be able to navigate these tough times. Because these are tough times. These really are tough times. People don't believe that there is a world after this one. One of the most difficult questions to answer is where do I go when I die? I mean, and the reason it's difficult is not because there are a lack of answers. It's just the simple fact that there are a lack of people who are able to believe in those answers or be able to accept those answers because at the end of the day, it requires... It requires something from you, you know. If, if, you, if you sit down and you believe the reality that your life doesn't end here and that your actions here have bearing on the life to come, you would realize that there's something that you must do. Some people have accepted a watered-down version of this in that when you talk about reincarnation, you know, if you do well, you know, you come in the next life as a rich person, as a, you know, if you don't do too well, you come back as a goat that someone would use and do salamit or something or the other, you know. That's a watered-down version. So because of that, people would, you know, try their utmost, you know, I'll try and be good, I'll try and be good so that, you know, my next life, I'll come as something nice and cool and I won't have to do this. Even though that very belief is, is, it has been submerged in selfishness and greed and pride because a lot of those people who want to be cool in their next life don't want to be cool because you know it, they want to better other people's lives it's because they just simply want to feel better or feel happier with themselves i mean lord help us in jesus name um shall we rise